0: Welcome to the Southcrest live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. James chapter three, we are going through the book of James. Next Sunday, a little bit different as we think about some Thanksgiving reminders, but today, Chapter 3, verse 13, do you remember when you were in middle school? Of course, we call it junior high school, junior high when we were there, back when the Dead Sea was sick, remember? (laughs) You remember when you really wanted to insult somebody's intelligence? You'd say things like, if your brain were dynamite, you couldn't blow your nose. (laughs) Y'all remember that? Maybe y'all didn't do that. Maybe y'all weren't smart enough to say that. I see your IQ test results were negative. (laughs) And then then there are people who always come up with little wise sayings, such as, never put both feet in your mouth at the same time because then you don't have a leg to stand on. (laughs) I should have listened to this. Never buy a car you can't push. (laughs) Look what James says, the very first, verse 13. Now, he's been talking about up until this point, he, he was talking about being a teacher and said, you know, you're going to be held to a stricter judgment. But then he talked about the tongue and how we can bless God and, and curse man. And he said, that's not, that's not the way it should be. You, you can't be the way. Everybody's made in the image of God. And why would you do that? But then notice what he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. How a person looks at life has been aptly termed a worldview. A lot of different definitions, for example, Ron Nash defines a worldview as a collection of answers to the most important questions in life. Your worldview includes your perspective on life. It includes the things that influence your thinking. More importantly, your worldview motivates how you live. Now, we have termed them, but aptly say you either have a Christian worldview or a biblical worldview or you have a secular worldview. And while James does not use the term worldview, he uses a more succinct term called wisdom. And he contrasts the two different kinds of wisdom and lifestyles, two different worldviews, two strikingly different types of wisdom. One of the interesting things you're going to find out when you read the book of James and he talks about wisdom is that real wisdom is not found in man's head, it's found in man's heart. It's not how much you know up here, it's who you know that determines whether you are truly wise. Wisdom is not found in the accumulation of information. it's found in an attitude of commitment and consecration to Jesus Christ. Real wisdom is not found in a man's book, it's found in his life. Because you can be brilliant intellectually, according to the world, and not necessarily be wise. See, Psalm 14:1 says, "Only the fool has said in his heart, "There is no God." Now, that means that you may have the IQ of a genius. You could be the professor at Harvard or MIT or an intellectual giant, but if you don't know the Lord, the Scripture says you are a fool. The writer of Proverbs, Solomon, the wisest man that... Ever lived, God gave the wisdom to. He said in, in, in Proverbs, How blessed is the man and woman who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver and her pain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast, Proverbs three thirteen through 18. Now, James talks about wisdom, and he first mentions the evidence of real or sincere wisdom when it's complete wisdom. There is evidence. He starts with a question. Who is wise? The average man has about 66 pounds of muscle, 40 pounds of bone, and three and a half pounds of brain. That explains a lot of things, doesn't it? knowledge comes from study it comes from acquisition of facts it comes from man to man you trial and error you have gained a lot of knowledge over the years haven't you in fact the more gray our hair is hopefully the more knowledge we have accumulated some of it I hope I never have to use again aren't you glad that aren't you don't you hope so And then wisdom comes, it's Sophia, is the Greek word, It, it means it comes from God, it's from God to man. Knowledge is man to man, wisdom, God to man, and we are dependent upon him. Now our world says, oh, it's all by the numbers, the numbers don't lie. We believe in numbers, we're convinced that if we convey to our children that their future depends on a high grade point average. Did you ever hear that? Do y'all remember them talking about your permanent record? (laughs) I never have seen my permanent record. Have you? I think God has that in heaven. But we we tell them now, your high grade point average, you've got to keep that up there. And so, so much stress is on the high grade point average, but... But if numbers are the barometer of success and figures don't lie, then how do you explain that over 50% of all the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies had C or C-minus averages in college? And 65% of all U.S. senators come from the bottom half of their school classes. (laughs) And 75% of U.S. presidents were in the lower half club in their school. Over 50% of millionaire entrepreneurs have never finished college. You see, wisdom doesn't have anything to do with a grade point average. Grade point average will get you into a university that won't teach you to have a secular worldview unless you go to a Christian university. But, it, but James says there's two evidences. First of all, real wisdom is shown in your actions. Notice in verse 13, let him show by good conduct. Wisdom is shown in your works, not by what you not just words, It's shown how you live. You see, the problem today is that American Christians, it's not that they aren't where they should be supposed to be, but they're not being what they should be, as doctors or housewives or lawyers or computer salesmen or nurses or whatever. It's shown by the way you live, real wisdom is. And not only in actions, but it is substantiated by the attitude that you have in the meekness of wisdom. You'll notice are done in the meekness of wisdom. Now, the genitive is a possessive case, which means that meekness belongs to wisdom. The meekness of wisdom is... And meekness is not weakness. When we hear the word meek and mild, we think of some little wimpy person that can be run over by anyone that doesn't doesn't stand up for anything. Meekness is not not the word meekness. One of the fruits of the Spirit is meekness. It's strength under control. A horse, you, you put a bit in a horse's mouth, you break that horse... It's still the same horse. It's just as strong as it's ever been. It's just been brought under control. And when meekness is in your life, it doesn't mean you're any less of a man or a woman. It means that you're still that person, but the Holy Spirit of God has brought you under control. That shows wisdom. It's the opposite of arrogance and self-seeking. H.I. Ironside said, Scripture nowhere condemns the acquisition of knowledge. It is the wisdom of this world, not its knowledge, that is foolishness with God. The measure of wisdom is not what you know, but who you know and how you live in God. Now... James says there's the opposite of godly wisdom. In fact, he he speaks what I call the essence of secular wisdom, the counterfeit wisdom that supposedly is in the world today. You'll notice the strongest contrast word in verse 14 is but if you have. But, he said, godly wisdom is shown in conduct and in meekness of wisdom, but if you have this... It's the opposite. It's counterfeit. It's not real. And see, the, the first thing you'll notice about the opposite of God's wisdom is that it has self at the center of it. Do we live in a society today that's all about self, me and mine? I'm all about me, what my world it says in your hearts, but if you have bitter envy and self seeking in your hearts, the center of you. Well, we live in a culture now that's all about me. I have my rights and my desires, and you leave me alone, and I will think what I want to think, and it's all about self. Notice these things there's an attitude, bitter envy. That word means harshness or anger, resentfulness. The word bitter, pikros in the Greek means to cut or to prick. We live in a world like that right now. Have you ever seen so many bitter people? There's a well-known Russian, it's not really a joke, But it's more like a parable about two neighbors who had a, one had a cow and one did not have a cow. And the neighbor without the cow was consumed by jealousy and envy night and day. And all he could think about is, I want my neighbor's cow. And until one day he found a bottle on the road, and obviously it had a genie in it, and the genie would grant him one wish for letting him out of the bottle, and that Russian said, I want you to kill my neighbor's cow instead of asking for one such bitter envy toward what somebody else had. I want you to get rid of that. And we live in a world right now where everybody is envious of somebody else, and I want what you have and so forth. The word envy, zeal. Now, zeal can be good or bad, the word zelos in the Greek, but here it's a fierce desire to promote your own opinions to the exclusion of Others. Have you ever noticed that a lot of people that really talk about tolerance today are the most intolerant people that we have, that we know? It's an emotion of zealous jealousy. You resent the success of other people. Some little boys were catching crabs out on the beach one day and putting them in a wicker basket No lid on the basket. And somebody walked by and said, son, if you don't put a lid on that basket, those crabs are going to get away. And he said, no, sir, they won't. He said, when one crab starts to climb up, the other ones pull him down. And that's about what this means is that the bitter envy, we don't want anybody to climb any higher than us. And then ambition or the self-seeking is there Selfish ambition, the idea of rivalry, your own self-interest, resentment, jealousy in the heart. We, have, we live in a society that's resentful about anybody else. Now, this is a ridiculous story, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. Do you all remember that little car called the Yugo? That really was a no-go. <laughs> okay, you know how small it was. You got to know what a Yugo is. One day, a guy driving a Yugo pulls up to a traffic light, stop light, and a Rolls Royce pulls up beside him. Now, a Rolls Royce is probably one of the most expensive, finest automobiles ever made, big. Driver of the Yugo rolls down his window and says to the driver of the Rolls, hey, buddy, that's a nice car. You got a phone in that Rolls Royce? I've got one in my Yugo. The driver of the Rolls looks over and says, yeah, I have a phone. The driver of the Yugo says, cool. Hey, you got a fridge in there? I've got a fridge in the back seat of my Yugo. (laughs) The driver of the Rolls looks annoyed. He says, yes, I have a refrigerator. The driver of the Yugo says, that's great. That's great. Have you got a TV in there too? I've got a TV in the back of my Yugo. The driver of the Rolls looks very annoyed by now, and he says, of course I have a television. A Rolls Royce is the finest luxury car in the world. The driver of the Yugo says, that's a very cool car. Have you got a bed in there, too? I've got a bed in the back of my Yugo. Well, upset that he did not have a bed, the driver of the Rolls Royce sped away, went straight to the dealer where he promptly ordered that a bed be installed in the back of that Rolls Royce. The next morning, the driver of the Rolls picks up the car, and the bed looks superb. The satin sheets, the brass trim, it was clearly a bed fit for a Rolls Royce. So the driver of the Rolls Royce spent all day Driving around town looking for the driver of that Yugo. Finally, he found him. Yugo was parked at a park. Windows were all fogged up on it. He went out, he got out of the Rolls, knocked on the Yugo. There wasn't any answer, and he knocked and he knocked and he knocked. And eventually, the owner of the Yugo stuck his head out. He was soaking wet. Driver of the Rolls said, I, I now have a bed in the back of my Rolls Royce. He said it arrogantly, and the driver of the Yugo looked at him. He said, you got me out of the shower for this? (laughs) That's the kind of world we live in. We're all the time trying to one-up on everyone else. And he said, don't brag about this. Don't boast about it. Do not boast. Don't be proud of it. It's a lie against the truth. It goes against the very truth of God's Word itself. The word strife, translated selfish ambition, was used in the old days to describe politicians who would do anything to get themselves elected. Aren't you glad that doesn't happen today? And Folks, in Galatians 5, bitter envying and strife are paired together in the Scripture. They're called works of the flesh, opposite of the works of the Spirit of God. This kind of wisdom has self at the center. It also has Satan at the source of it. It's demonic. Verse 15 says, this wisdom does not descend from above. I've had people stop me before and and say, well, you know, the Lord told me to do this. Now, I believe that the Spirit of God can prompt you to do things, but what I'm about to, they, they would say, well, the Lord told me, and then they say to do something that is completely contrary to what God says to do. That's not God. That wisdom doesn't come from above. God would never lead you to do something that would violate what he said to do or not to do. He won't lead you to do that. He said this, James says, this wisdom is earthly. It's worldly. It belongs to the world. It's marked by worldly, earthly principles. It's devoted to earthly objects. It suits earthly minds. All secular worldviews believe that we live in a closed system, like a box and that God is outside of the box. And even if he does exist, he doesn't have anything to do with us inside the box. We're in charge. The humans are in charge. We make our own destinies. But a Christian worldview, I'll use the box as an illustration, says God made the box, and God's in the box, and God charts our life and tells us how we're to live we, we have the presence of God in our lives, and we go to him in prayer, or we see his providence. Where do you get your wisdom? Have you counted how many daytime, I guess and nighttime, talk TV shows there are? And all they do is pool their ignorance. <laughs> And yet, so many people listen to that stuff. I wish there was a knob on my television that would turn up the intelligence. Now, there is a brightness knob, but it doesn't work. Earthly wisdom doesn't work. James also says it's sensual. It's It's from the natural person. It's it's not spiritual. It's the animalistic instincts, what belongs to the natural world, not having the Spirit of God in your life denotes wisdom which is unspiritual. It's no way related to God. The natural thing to do is not always the right thing to do, and it manifests itself this way when people say, well, I know what God's Word says, but I feel like it's okay to do this. Whatever feels good, that's what you go with. He also says it's demonic, it's hellish, it's not godlike. The word devilish actually refers to demons or evil spirits, and it gives us the indication that all of the fallen angels have the same kind of wisdom and seek to dupe mankind. The fall of Satan is the greatest example of false wisdom, to be as wise and to be God. It has self at the center. It's all self-centered. It has Satan as a source of it. But I also want you to notice one other thing about it. It has sin and sadness as the, destruct- as the signs of it. It's destructive. Verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Worldly wisdom leaves you empty. It leads to unhappiness. He first uses the word confusion. It means disorder or disturbance or unruliness. It's the word translated in other places as unstable. Or sometimes it's translated restless. In in essence, the outcome of a person who lives his life with this kind of earthly wisdom is noted by instability. Instability and restlessness. There will always be something else they're going to go try to do. Confusion. You know, when we we know Jesus and you've committed your life to Christ and the Spirit of God lives in you, even though we live in a time of difficulty, there's still an underlying down deep Assurance and peace that says, even though I don't like what I'm going through, and even though it's not fun, difficult, I still know I'm not confused about who I am in the Lord. And I'm not confused about where God is in all of this because he's still my foundation. He's still the underlying peace that I have. But the, but, the, but the worldly wisdom, the stuff that you listen to from these people who don't know God, it, it, it can be downright stupid. I tried to say that kindly. <laughs> Let me give you an example. It's a ridiculous example, but this is the world we live in. Now, Dan Parks shares the following on riding a dead horse. Riding a dead horse, he said, the tribal wisdom of the Dakota Indians passed on from generation to generation says that when you discover that you're riding a dead horse, get off of it. Dismount. However, our modern organizations that we are surrounded by Often employ a whole range of far more advanced strategies. Riding a dead horse, such as buying a stronger whip, changing riders, threatening the horse with termination, appointing a committee to study the horse, arranging to visit other countries to see how others ride dead horses, lowering the standards so the dead horses can be included reclassifying the horse as living impaired hiring outside contractors to ride the dead horse harnessing several dead horses together to increase the speed providing additional funding or training to increase the dead horse's performance doing a productivity study to see if lighter riders would improve the dead horse's performance declaring that as the dead horse does not have to be fed, it is less costly, carries lower overhead, therefore contributes substantially more to the bottom line of the economy than do some other horses. (laughs) Rewriting the expected performance requirements for all horses. Promoting the dead horse to a management position. (laughs) changing the name of the dead horse. As ridiculous as that sounds, that's the kind of world we live in. Every evil thing, it says, all kinds of evil, everything you can imagine, but actually it's an interesting phrase because normally the word evil, using the typical fashion in the New Testament, means bad things, but here this word is different It means trivial or worthless. And what James is saying, that which is achieved through selfish ambition or envy or secular wisdom is worthless. You come to the end of your life, it's worthless. The world's wisdom leads to emptiness, pain, and sorrow. But then James says, there's a kind of wisdom that doesn't lead that way. It's the elements of spiritual wisdom, the Christ-like wisdom. Again, you see the, the contrast, but in verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above. And I just listed these for you so you wouldn't have to worry about filling in the blanks. I'd rather you learn what they mean. The word pure means it's clean, it's undefiled, it's not, there's no hidden motive. It's, it's, it's a word that speaks of unmixed, undefiled, a heart for God. It's the kind of wisdom that says, I'm concerned about what God thinks. What does God say in this matter? How does He want me to live my life? Doesn't mean you're perfect, but you're, you're the pure wisdom that says God's, God says, listen, if I say do this, do it. If I say don't do it, don't do it. It suggests that a believer is serious even about their moral behavior. I don't understand when somebody says they're following Jesus and they want him to be the Lord of their life, and then they just defy what God says he wants done, especially in the realm of marriage either not getting married and living together or all the things that mankind today calls marriage. It's not what God intended. Now, I understand that if they don't know Jesus. I mean, they're, they're, they're listening to the world. But what breaks my heart is when somebody says, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus, and yet they think nothing about being living an immoral lifestyle. Peaceable. You have a peace with God that's vertical. You have a peace with fellow man. It seeks to preserve peace or to promote it. A person that is wise with spiritual wisdom is not going around looking for a fight. They're not going around looking to see who they can make mad or stir up. Wisdom is the ability to keep your mouth shut while your mind continues to talk to itself. And I love what somebody said. We could learn a lot from crayons. He says some are sharp, some are pretty, some are dull, some have weird names, and all are different colors, but they have all learned to live in the same box. <laughs> Peaceable. Does it mean you have to agree with everybody? It says gentle which means to be reasonable or considerate. It forgives even when the letter of the law says to condemn. It carries the idea of being willing to find the best in people when others would see the worst or condemn them. You all remember Greg Norman? In the 8 o'clock sermon, I kept saying Larry Norman. Larry Norman was a Christian singer. Greg Norman's a golfer. That's who I went. Greg Norman was intimidating to a lot of other professional golfers. In fact, I was told later that he married a young lady, and two years later she divorced him because he was so cold and stoic. Where did he learn those hard-nosed tactics? He learned them from his dad. He said, I used to see my father getting off an airplane or something, and I'd want to give him a hug, but he'd only shake my hand commenting on his aloofness going into the 1996 Masters Golf Tournament, Norman snorted, nobody really knows me out here. Well, he led that whole event until the last day. He had a six-shot lead, and he blew it. He lost to Nick Faldo. Rick Riley wrote, now as Faldo made one last thrust into Norman's heart with a 15-foot birdie putt on the 72nd hole, the two of them came toward each other, Faldo and Norman, and Norman, trying to smile, looked for a handshake and finding himself in the warmest embrace instead. Faldo grabbed hold of him and hugged him, and as they held that hug, held it even as both of them cried, Norman changed just a little. He said, I wasn't crying because I'd lost. I've lost a lot of golf tournaments before. I'll lose a lot more. I cried because I'd never felt that from another man before. I had never had a hug like that in my life. Gentle." doesn't mean that you don't stand for what's right. Gentle doesn't mean that you let people run over you, but wisdom knows how to handle a situation to keep it from getting worse and to treat other people reasonably and consider it. And he says, the next thing he says, willing to yield. It means to be open to reason, to not be unbending, to not be obstinate, to be easily... It's easy for... You to listen to people. You're not always right. And part of wisdom, you realize you don't know everything. It's the only time this word is found in the New Testament, right here willing to yield. It means it's the opposite of being stubborn or rigid. It's the spirit of one who will listen to others, who will be persuaded to hear another position. And rather than stubborn and being bullheaded, it's a quality to bend whatever is necessary for the good of others. It does not mean to compromise your convictions. We're not going to compromise on salvation. Why? There's only one way to be saved, Jesus Christ. And even if it offends everyone else who doesn't see it that way, we're not going to bend on that. We're not going to be ugly about it. But you know what? There's a lot of other things you can bend on. You can bend on the colors of the auditorium. But how many churches have been split over somebody sitting in their seat? And I'm not kidding. I'm telling you, you want to know some hard-headed folks, just go to Southern Baptist Church. <laughs> Fortunately, y'alls have softened up quite a bit. Full of mercy... uh, Let me back up. I, I like a, there's a prayer on the wall of a church in England. It says this, Oh God, may the door of this house be wide enough to include all who need divine love and human friendship. May the doors be narrow enough to shut out all envy, pride, and strife. May the threshold be smooth enough to be no stumbling block to children or to straying feet, yet rugged enough to turn back the tempter's power. That's what a church should be. Full of mercy means as you show compassion toward other people. Listen, you have been shown mercy by our merciful God. You don't need justice. You need mercy. So do I. And when I stand before God, I don't need justice. I already know what I deserve. I need God's mercy, which I already have through Jesus Christ. He's given it to you and me. But real wisdom, divine wisdom, you began to show that mercy to other people. Good fruits. We've already mentioned that. By good conduct, in verse 13, kind actions, helpful deeds, that's a result of mercy. Without partiality means without prejudice, not respecting any people, to stay humble, not be arrogant, because everyone in this room and every person that you will ever meet has been made in the image of God. They have worth. Don't ever look at anyone And think in your mind, well, they're just trash. God doesn't make trash. He redeems us. And without hypocrisy means to be sincere and genuine. Be who you are in the Lord. Verse 18 is the opposite of verse 16. Now the fruit of righteousness is shown in peace. Verse 16 for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So my friends, I, I, I ask this question and I'm done. What kind of wise guy are you? You either know Jesus or you don't. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. When you follow God's way, you don't have regrets at the end of your life. There's joy, there's peace, there's purpose, there's satisfaction. You can do it the world's way or you can do it God's way. There's only two choices Christian worldview, Christian wisdom, godly wisdom secular worldview, worldly wisdom. And you could come out of this one into this one through Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, you can know him even now. Would you bow your heads with me? Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.